Hello, this is Jesse Weiler for Adoramus Bulletin. In this episode, we speak with the editor of Adoramus, Chris Carsons, about some of the big topics that happened this year in 2023. So without further ado, another Adoramus interview. Hi, Chris. How's it going? Good, Jesse. How are you? I'm doing well. I had a, had a wonderful little Christmas with my family, and uh, I, I mentioned this to you earlier, but hauling five kids around for holiday activities is significantly different than hauling three or four kids around. So I, I'm really glad to talk to you. What we really like to do is kind of look at the, the, the liturgical year, so to speak. I know we're already, we've been in the new liturgical year for quite a while, but the calendar year in liturgy mm-hmm. At the uh, at the end, kind of recapping some of the things that Adoramus covered this year. A lot of interesting things ha- have happened, uh, both you know early in the calendar year last year and and more recently too. So I figured let's just go go through some of these things and we can have a, a light touch on them and and see if there's anything new we want to impart on them or just kind of discuss what this year has been like. Okay, that sounds good. So. I guess most notably uh, around uh, this time last year, we had the burial of Pope Benedict, uh, Pope Emeritus uh, Benedict the 16th. So I I know that that imparted uh, a little bit of uh, work for you for the diocese, but then also I think, you know, Adoramus got to comment on this a little bit too. So what, what, what have you learned, Chris, as uh, as somebody who, who knew that that's, that was going to happen inevitably. You know Pope Francis is going to die inevitably. So mm-hmm. what, what would you do next time? Well, how would you prepare yourself? What, what uh, types of questions were you getting? Yeah, you know, well, a couple of things. We we did. I thought I was prepared for this. Uh, and at least on the Adoramus front, uh, we had a, you know, a really wonderful piece kind of in, in the wings, in the ready for when, when this happened by, by Father Michael Lang. Uh, but you know, that was only one piece of a much larger puzzle. But uh, yeah, when Pope Benedict died on what December 31st, uh, we had at least given a lot of reflection to his great legacy uh, for the church, for the liturgy, and for Adoramus too. I mean, he's, he's kind of the the, the founding grandfather of uh, Adoramus Bolt. I mean, literally, he um, we have we have correspondence between uh, Cardinal Ratzinger and Father Fessio uh, with uh, with Ratzinger's encouragement for a journal like this. So he was very significant for for the bulletin. And so we were, uh, probably this piece that Father Lang wrote, uh, I think, Jesse, I don't know, it was maybe the most read piece Adoramus has ever uh, uh, published. And it was translated into numerous languages, um, you know, French and Italian and Spanish and uh, and others. Um, so it was very popular. It is very well, well written by uh, Father Lang. And so, um, I know I'm going to go back and read that. I mean, it just doesn't that seem like a long time ago that this happened? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, I remember because we were at the seat conference uh, right. last year discussing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the the minutia uh, of this was okay. Well, the church is asking everybody to celebrate Mass in honor of Pope Benedict. And somebody said, well, I already gave a donation to have that mass said for my, my parents. What do I do? Can we, uh, you can't have two intentions or how do we do this? And Oh, you're right. There were, there were a lot of uh, kind of quirky liturgical questions, right? Because this was in the, not the octave of Easter, but it was in the Christmas season. And that limits the types of masses you can have. And 
Uh, these weren't exactly funeral masses, but they were uh, masses for the dead. And those are different rankings uh, in the uh, in the liturgical calendar. So, yeah, it brought about its own sort of unique um, liturgical questions. But, uh, you, you know, when when a when a reigning pope dies, there's a certain protocol that uh, is followed. But when a pope emeritus dies, well, what do you do then? And so it had a lot of questions. And this is what I meant by <laughs> there was a lot more to consider than just simply an article for Adoramus Bullet in my own office in the in literature office on the cross. There were a lot of there were a lot of uh, questions I didn't have answers to. Speaking of questions that we don't always have answers to, I think we should move on to uh, Traditionis Custodis. Ah, uh, uh, yes, yeah. yeah. There was speaking. Of, yeah, speaking of questions, there. Right. So this has been uh, a certainly it's been controversial uh, since its uh, outset. Sumor uh, Pontificum was, and then Traditionis Custodis was, and that left a whole number of questions. And there were two questions in particular, two dubia, uh, that were answered this past year. So Traditionis Custodis wasn't from this year, but two kind of significant responses uh, in its wake were. And the one, one of them was, uh, can a Dacian bishop, um, what's the what's the word? Um, does he have authority to Dispe dispense, dispense from thank certain you. obligations? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, can a uh, bishop dispense from uh, the the I don't know the TC where it said that uh, the extraordinary form of preconciliar liturgy couldn't be celebrated in parish churches? Uh, the second one was can the Dacian bishop dispense from the requirement that newly ordained priests need to have permission from the Holy See? to do this. And the answer to both of those was, was negative. So, uh, but, but that was, you know, people didn't know. And so initially they said, well, it, according to different canons and things like that, a, a bishop can dispense with some of those things. But um, it was, it came out uh, earlier this year that no, only the Vatican can dispense from those requirements. That, that was, uh, those were the only two formal dubia that came out of that, right? Or were there other kind of informal questions? I know it was a big deal. People really wanted to make sure that they were really understanding uh, not only what was being said, but the intention as well. Yeah, no, I think there were other dubia. It's hard to keep track of this stuff, <laughs> even for an editor of a liturgical uh, uh, bulletin. I think there were a number of dubia that, that came in this package, but those were probably the most uh significant that gain the most headlines. All right. So uh, moving on to the divine office. Now, I'll tell you this. I met you, uh, let's call it nine years ago, uh, mm -hmm. when I started working at the Liturgical Institute. And in our staff meetings uh, at the LI, we were talking about the new translation of the Liturgy of the Hours mm -hmm. nine years ago, and we're still talking about it now. But a significant development is the hymnal for the divine office. Um, signaling kind of, you know, again, more progress in, into getting to that point. So this was a big deal. Uh, we had that that article in Adoramus. So uh, and, and anything new on that or anything that uh, you think was probably worth noting from, from the release well, of the hymnal? Yeah, well, the hymnal is uh, extremely noteworthy, right? Because uh, the church has a, a centuries-long tradition of hymnody, and most of the Roman Rite hymnody uh, is in the divine office. It's not in the mass. There's only a couple of hymns, actually, uh, proper hymns for the mass. Uh, some on Good Friday, some on Holy Thursday, the glory is a hymn. But most time in the mass, we're 
the church has traditionally sung uh, psalmody. And so the hymn tradition has existed in the divine office. Well, that's, you know, if you've been praying the divine office over the last 50 years or so, you have not encountered these hymns uh, because they haven't existed in the English translation. So that there is now, <laughs> for the first time, a translation of the traditional hymnody of the church set to music is, uh, it's new and it's awesome and it's wonderful. And it'll take some getting used to when the, when the whole office does become available and a 25 or 26 is what the latest, uh, is what the latest odds are out of Vegas now, Jesse. Um, but this hymnal I'll is always uh, take the over on that. I'm oh, take the over. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the hymnal's a, a fantastic thing that uh, shouldn't be overlooked. And hopefully, you know, for, for those who are really interested in praying the liturgy today in line with the tradition of the church, it's not something that's going to be easily, should be easily dismissed. I mean, you're going to be introduced to hymns that we're not familiar with. And I, I, I you know, I hope, and this is what we're going to be working for. I, 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 I don't want, you know, the sort of, oh, well, I don't know that song, but I do know this side or the other thing. No, I, I hope there's a real openness. And this is what Adoramus is going to try to do is to uh, catechize, to implement this uh, uh, these new hymns uh, in in the lives of priests and the whole church. All right. Uh, you know, another thing that was, you know, recently happening, we just celebrated 60 years since the Sacrosanctum Concilium. And, mm -hmm. you know, shortly before Christmas, Pope Francis released a statement about the 60 year anniversary and kind of where that lies now. Uh, what what are your thoughts and maybe, you know, Adoramus's, uh thoughts on Sacrosanctum Concilium at 60 years? Yeah, well, we're we're still for it. <laughs> we're, uh, okay, so and, next we yeah, have. Next, no. <laughs> uh, uh, but um, you know, some people aren't. So a lot of people have opinions about it who, that haven't read it, um, uh, or that don't read it in what Pope Benedict would say in its proper hermeneutic or context. They don't know what came before it. They don't know the the documents that implemented it after it, and so it still remains, you know, kind of a key principle of our work at Adoramus to, you know, to, to look at the council document, to read it uh, uh, through the lenses of tradition uh, in light of, you know, the needs of contemporary uh, Catholics. Um, so, you know, we still go back uh, to that well of, uh, of the council. So, yeah, we're, I guess it'd be nice we didn't have to do this still 60 years later, but uh um, but we are, and maybe this has always been the case. I don't know. Um, but, uh, we'll continue to do that. We, you know, our, our goal here at Adoramus is to have the church's liturgy prayed, uh, as faithfully, authentically, beautifully as it possibly can. And that has to take into account, uh, the conciliar document, Sacrosanctum Concilium. You know, the, the, the length of this does kind of make sense because, you know, dating back to the early stages of a liturgical movement, I mean, it took decades, a lot of decades, just to get to the point where, uh, you know, we had a council on that. And it would make sense, you know, that we continue to have these conversations decades after, uh, because these are really important things. And uh, overall, getting people to understand priests, how to celebrate the Mass, and, and for the laity, how to pray the Mass, I mean, these things are really critical. 
for uh, for us and our relationship with Christ and, and our salvation. So, yeah, uh, you know, I, I there's so much that can be said and has been said, and you know, we can continue debate uh, the wisdom of the council or its uh, proper implementation or improper implementation, and those, you know, and that, that that should be done. That should be done. Uh, but in the end, there's going to be a ten o'clock mass at your parish on Sunday, and that's that's who we want to help. Okay. Yeah, there, we should discuss these other things too. But in the meantime, uh, how do we make that principal mass at your parish this Sunday uh, as uh, celebrated as beautifully as it possibly can be so that you and your wife and your children and yourself and your neighbors can have this life-changing encounter with Christ? That's actually something within our control okay uh you know whether the book should be changed uh left right forward backwards up down whatever right? that, that's a little bit beyond us but uh uh celebrating implementing the the missile as faithful as we can is something that is in our power to do and so that's we're going to keep working toward i couldn't have said it better myself um mm. so you know moving on we have something there was some um, news on uh you know in the year but then also now some recent developments on cremation um so kind of some new direction on cremation and um i guess would you call them allowances or permissions uh so what what happened and what are some of those new things yeah there was uh i don't know there's just been kind of a whirlwind of uh of uh events lately but it must have been two weeks ago i suppose uh, there, there was released from the, I guess, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith about uh, uh, cremated remains. Uh, uh, there were two things that were, you know, I, as far as I can tell, uh, rather novel. The one is that uh, part of, well, not cremated remains necessarily, but part of the remains of a human body can be separated from the rest and kept in a distinct uh, sacred place that is distinct from where the rest of the the body is and this is not as far as i know has never been the practice uh, is that the body of the deceased was to remain uh, integral and together and whole and was not to be divided up well now it seems this is uh allowable if you know not in your dresser drawer or not on your uh mantelpiece but in a in a sacred place okay uh the other thing was that uh, cremated remains, it appears, can be mixed. And so not only were they not to be divided, they weren't to be mixed together with anything. right? Um, but this also appears to be permissible now, as long as those remains uh, are kept um, in, a, in, in, in like a, a proper burial place. Okay. So again, they, they can't be kept personally, but um, I think, uh, you know, as re reading the explanatory note, it says, in point of fact, you know, when you get cremated remains back, they have already been mixed, you know, with whatever, whichever body, you know, was cremated before. So, but this, you know, on the surface of it seems also to be something that is uh, uh, novel, at least in terms of the uh, legislation of, of the church. So, yeah, two kind of new things uh, about uh, how we how we handle the the bodies and the remains of uh, of the deceased you know i would be remiss if, if i didn't mention uh the fact that we have 
several occasions where there are saints where we have, you know, an arm of a saint. You know, I actually got to to venerate the arm of Saint Jude earlier this year. Um, now I know that was kind of a long time ago, but where I'm getting at is, uh, you know, relics of saints are very important to the church, and they continue to be. Uh, does that impact how we, uh, you know, treat remains of current holy men and women, like let's say Carlo Acutis? Yeah. Know? Yeah, well, a couple of things is, uh, uh, one is that, you know, whether, you know, my grandmother was an especially holy uh, woman, or I'm, a you know, a, an especially holy man, you know, we're, we're, we're temples of God, and there's a great respect that's to be um, had when dealing with, uh, uh, with our bodies after they're deceased. But this other question, you know, this was actually a question put to me at Adoramus, and I have yet to answer it. Uh, partly because I'm not entirely sure what the answer is, right? So we did this big Q and A on uh, not that 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 remains should not be separated. So the question was, well, how can you can do that with a saint, you know, even a modern saint? You know, you know why can uh, why can relics of uh, Carlo Cutis or somebody else why can those be split up? But uh, somebody who's not saintly like me, why can why can't those be set up? So there's a distinction somewhere out there. That I'm still looking, f still looking for, <laughs> to to uh, help uh, articulate the this apparent difference in uh, how we treat the deceased. Is that is that a real possibility? They could, you know, take something from Carlo Acutis and you know create relics from it. Oh, it, absolutely. Yeah, sure it is. Sure, we do this with. Uh, um, uh, let's say there's there's. I was a part of an altar dedication, and the relic was of Miguel Augustin Pro. Blessed, who was uh, martyred in Mexico in the, about a hundred years ago. Uh, well, well, yeah, his body has been uh, divided into different relics, and they're used in altars today, legitimately. So, how we reconcile these two things is uh, uh, still not entirely clear to my mind. So, uh, speaking of entirely clear to your mind, mm -hmm. we got to move on to pastoral blessings. And the meeting uh, of pastoral blessings. So this has been I, I've I read it, about this. <laughs> it's been in the news recently. Uh, but also, I mean, I, I just think that you know the church as a whole doesn't necessarily understand blessings. I mean, we you and I have had some conversations too. I mean, we had a, I remember we had a, a long conversation about the the book of uh, uh was it household blessings and whether they're hylomorphic or not. And, and so th these things can be very confusing uh, for people. What is a blessing? What does it mean? What is a blessing outside of something liturgical mean as opposed mm. to something within the liturgy? So uh, so what are your thoughts on this uh. in, in regard to some of the more recent conversations the church has been having? Yeah, well, I guess I'd say that, um, I mean, you, you could read commentaries on this from sunup to, sun, to sundown. And that's not bad to do. I mean, you know, I've I've learned a lot of insights from from other people who are much smarter than I am, um, but I think part of forming one's opinion on this has to include not simply opinion pieces by other experts, uh, as good as they may be. I think it has to account for reading the actual text, and so uh, you know, I'm not going to contribute you know just another opinion, but I think what we what we should look at, and what I've been trying to do so far is. Actually, read the text, uh, read the footnotes, read the the documents uh, that came uh, before it. I mean, there are obviously many lenses and angles that should be 
use to evaluate this, but I think uh, an indispensable one has to be, what does the text say? And so I guess that right now, uh, what I would offer is uh, kind of three three points. Um, one thing that's new, one thing that represents a change, and one thing that has remained the same, right? There's a thousand other things that could be said about this, but I'm going to limit myself to sort of the liturgical sacramental standpoint and offer just three things that I hope can uh, maybe alleviate some, some confusion. The one thing that's new, right? So at the beginning of this document, um, fiducia supplicans, okay? Uh, the first thing is that it says it's going to, it, it, it has an innovated contribution, right? And this is the new thing. What is new about this? is that it, uh, what it says is it broadens the concept of blessing. Okay? Uh, so the classical understanding of blessing is that it is a sacramental, that is to say, it's liturgical then, okay? And it uh, uh, follows a, uh, uh, a promulgated ritual. So this would be the current day benedictionibus or the book of blessings is what it's called. Uh, and uh, these... Uh, were not to be given, are not to be given, I guess, to to bless uh, uh, unions that are irregular, this is the term that, that is used. Okay. But what's broadened uh, in this, uh, this declaration is the use of, I suppose, I don't know if invention or, in, well, innovation is the word that they use, is I guess is what we would call pious blessings or devotional blessings or non-liturgical blessings or non-sacramental blessings okay that do not follow a sort of a codified uh, ritual but are they're more in the arena frankly of popular piety uh, or private prayer and these these are not my words these are what's actually in the document so they're actually more in the category of devotional prayer than they are in the category of sacramentals. That's one thing that the document says. That's its innovation. Uh, and I found that this is, right, the theology of blessings on a good day is very confusing. Uh, now, add in these other elements uh, and some imprecise language, or that you use the term blessing now in different ways, and it remains a little bit uh, con confusing. But this is one thing that's new then I think is still confused and overlooked in much of the commentary, is that what's new is I think what the document is speaking of is um, devotional blessings or prayers simply for those in irregular situations. That's the thing that I think is new. And if you read it with that in mind, this will help clarify some things. One, the second thing, one thing that has changed, right? So when you read uh, the declaration and you look to the footnotes, kind of the most prominent ones, are a catechesis that Pope Francis did on, uh, on the nature of blessings as prayers. And then a couple of, uh, then there was a, um, what is it called? It's a uh, response to some dubia by Pope Francis. I mean, it was his letter that uh, the, the congregation put out in 23. And then another uh, responsum from 21. And that is the, what has changed. And if you're not looking for it, you might miss it is initially the questions were, could uh, the, I guess what you would call the unions or relationships or partnerships be blessed? And that has been and continues to be no. 
what the recent declaration says is can persons in different relationships be blessed? And the answer to that is yes, right? So it seems to be a contradiction, but I think you know, taking the text at what it actually says, there's been a shift that initially they were talking about can unions and relationships and partnerships be blessed? No, to can persons be blessed? Yes. Okay, so that's one thing that's changed. And that too may help as you read through this. And the third thing I guess I would say, so there's one thing new, there's one thing that's changed, but one thing that's remained the same in sort of classical sacramental theology, whether it's about the sacraments or sacramentals, the disposition of the recipient is a, an essential figure, right? Uh, an essential component. Sacraments and sacramentals uh, aren't magic, right? They don't possess the, they don't work for in my life unless I have a proper disposition to cooperate with the grace of God uh, for the sake of my holiness, for the sake of uh, conforming my life to Christ. If I do not have that proper disposition, okay, uh, if I receive the Eucharist with an improper disposition, whether it's one of mortal sin or I'm just, you know, I'm not interested in changing my life, it, it's not going to be fruitful in my life. And so when uh, the declaration gets to this category of a theological pastoral understanding of blessings, the first three paragraphs remain about the disposition of the recipient, right? So it seems that one thing that hasn't changed is that a person receiving a sacrament or a sacramental, or in this case, sort of a prayer even, has to have an openness to changing, to uh, to a metanoia, to a, uh, a turning away from sin and towards God. This is true of everybody, right? And if we don't have that, then, you know, it's uh, in some ways, it's a charade. Right, uh, but it's not going to uh, uh, bestow grace in a way that's fruitful in my life. So that's something that I think has has remained. So as I say, you know, there's a thousand and one opinion pieces on this, and I'm I'm not interested really in offering another. But I do think that informing your opinion, you got to look at the text and see what it says. And those are three things that have kind of risen to the surface in my read of the actual text that this innovation is really sort of a, we're calling blessing, but it's more in the category of popular prayer. Two, that uh, it's not blessing uh, unions, irregular unions, but persons. And third is that, you know, whatever, however the verbiage may have changed or the categories have changed, one thing that hasn't is to make something like this uh, fruitful in one's life, you have to have an openness to conforming your will to that of God. Wow, what a what a great response! So I really appreciate that. Uh, you know, we we talked a lot about what happened this year. Is there anything you want to say about the in the coming months for Otterinus? What are some things that you're excited about, or some projects or articles that? Obviously, we can't predict uh, any major apostolic letters or <laughs> liturgical events or anything. Yeah, but but yeah. from from what you guys are planning, anything that you want to share. Well, I guess I would say, you know, and, and you know, we did we did a review of news, and I guess the first thing I'd like to say is, Adoramus, thankfully, is not a news outlet, <laughs> principally, um, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, it's uh, we're not about breaking news. Uh, our mission remains, 
sort of a reflective, determined, a reflective determination to understand the liturgy and pray it to the best of our abilities. And that's what we're going to, we're going to keep doing. So we're going to, uh, in the future, uh, we're going to continue that in, in ways that I hope are, um, we're going to, uh, they're going to be new for us. So not simply the, you know, our print bulletin, but we want to make the the content that we have uh, available in, in different ways and more exciting ways. And so some of these things were hold on to and re- reveal in the, uh, in the months to come. But, you know, I, I guess, you know, looking back at these news headlines, you know, whether you like them or not, or looking ahead at news headlines uh, on the liturgy, whether you're going to like them or not, um, what we remain committed to, and I think we should remain committed to is, you know, is the name of the game ultimately is holiness. And that comes about through, you know, drinking as deeply as possible from the wellsprings of grace made available to us in the sacred liturgy, that's going to remain our principal interest uh, in the months ahead. And and that's something that we should be joyful about, excited about, uh, privileged to work in such a, uh, such a field. So yeah, uh, liturgical field sometimes is, uh, is a tough one to exist in, but if we keep focused on what's really at uh, the core, you know, uh, growing into our likeness uh, of Christ, um, that's always exciting and beautiful. And so I, I hope we can we can keep that path. That's our that's our New Year's resolution anyway. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending time and we look forward to the next year of uh non-breaking news uh for my yes. Let's hope for a boring year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. divinization is never boring. That's true. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> that's true. All right, God bless. Thanks, Jesse. <laughs>